I'm sitting here with Javier Amejedas. Javier is a production artist, art director. He's worked for TV, film, and stage. He's won Emmys for his work on Grease, Rent, Mildred Pierce, Bored to Death, Boardwalk Empire. He's also been nominated for several Tonys. He's a member of the Academy of Motion Pictures. He's worked on more projects than I can list here. So mainly when I think about the work you do, it really revolves around production work. Is that how you like to think of yourself? Broadly, yeah. When I think of what I do is I help people visualize their ideas. Visualizing the concept of an idea, whether it be for film, TV, and theater, is uh, at the core of what I do. Can you just explain a little bit about what that entails or what does the work actually look like? We'll talk broad concepts because it can kind of branch out to different levels, but if you were a director, a designer, a producer of any sort, and you came to me and you say, Javi, I need help visualizing this concept or this set design, I would start with research. I would then do a loose sketch. I would probably then do a 3D model, if, if appropriate, or a tighter rendering of that idea, followed by the finished product. So usually it's some pencil version of something mixed with a digital painting. Great. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's really clear. So let's dial it back a little bit and just get a sense of where you're coming from. So full disclosure, I've known you since we were an undergrad together. We went to the Maryland Institute College of Art. What were you really studying? What were you thinking your goals were going to be, where you were going to go after graduation? At the day of graduation, had asked me, what's your dream job? Probably would have said to be a published illustrator or have a really fancy, beautiful cover page illustration in the New York Times. I uh, graduated and within three months was hired to work on my first film. I had a portfolio that was both strong in, in my drafting skills and my watercolor skills, and I was open to any job that would allow me to get paid to draw. And, and I think that the combination uh, is what got me the job. The open-mindedness and then the, the fundamental skill. It was what you would think of as a concept illustrator for a film. I was helping the production designer visualize his ideas. This was before a lot of computer drafting, and a lot of computer modeling was popular in the film world. The idea of having a concept illustrator on a live action feature that was not heavy in CGI was very much a luxury, but that was changing. So I kind of jumped in right at the point when there were a lot of production designers looking for illustrators who were interested in creating environments that were a little bit more human meaning police precincts and dance studios and hospitals. If you jump into a production in the art department and you're really willing to branch out creatively, then there is a lot of opportunity within the art department of the film to do storyboarding, prop design, costume design. Um, before you know it, you've been on a film for nine months and touched every aspect of the creative process um, as a concept illustrator. Early on, you got involved with a union in New York City that is a production artist union. Can you talk about that a little bit, what the process is like getting involved with that? I moved to New York with really big ambitions and dreams to become a film concept illustrator. And when I get to New York, no one's willing to hire me. And I'm like, I may be really young, but I'm hungry. What door do I need to knock down to get into the film industry in New York City? And what I quickly found out was in order for you to work within the film industry in New York, you have to be a member of United Scenic Artists 829, which protects scenic artists within films. 
So it's not just concept illustrators, it's also graphic designers within films, it's production designers, art directors, and scenic painters, and more. I realized I needed to get into the union. To get into the union, 829, you need letters of recommendations, you need some professional experience, and you need somebody who's really gonna advocate for you. And I didn't have that person, and it's expensive, especially coming out of school. It was pretty much every dollar in my bank account. There's a chance that I don't get in, it could be a disaster. So. I, I kind of put that in my, the back of my mind while still trying to pursue film. And then I got asked to come to Baltimore and work on Step Up 2, which I did. And when I finished that film, the art director on that said, you're really talented. I really like our collaboration and your mindset and the enthusiasm and kind of dedication you put into your work. I think the only way you are going to succeed if you go back to New York is if you join the union and I'm here to, I, I want to help you do that. And so. This person became my gateway and my bridge into the union in 2007. So it took me about two years from the moment I first tasted the film industry to the moment I was ready to say, I'm going to spend this money. I'm going to join the union. I'm going to take this leap. What was the learning curve like entering into a field that you had the drawing ability to certainly meet the demand? But maybe there was certain elements of, of the industry that you were uncertain of and that you had to, to catch up with. Well, I think fortunately, I was working under the wings of a designer at all times. Even today, when I do these huge jobs and they seem a little crazy, I'm, for the most part, I'm still under the wings of a designer. So they take a little bit of the fear out and anything that you don't know, you can ask them. So yeah, there was a huge learning curve. There's all these... Um, phrases and shorthand that happens in the film industry um, that I had no idea what they meant or what they were referencing. And you just kind of pick that up. I think that, that a good way to look at this, if I was to be guiding a student now, I would say, I think there's a fear of asking the question and you have to remember that you are there for all of us. Everyone in this team is there to succeed together and you're hired to do what you do really well. And there is nothing wrong with asking questions to help you do your aspect of the job even better. All right, great. I remember talking with you around the time you were working on the Smurfs film. I was so fascinated by what you were doing on a day-to-day -day basis because I remember you were like, I'm, I'm really sitting here drawing Smurf tables and Smurf mirrors. I had to imagine this entire Smurf world. And when you see that on film, it doesn't always translate that somebody's sitting there drawing and you have a whole team of people or conceiving all these little details. It's like the minutia of what brings the world to life. And all of that is something that you really are tasked with sitting down and fleshing out. Yeah, that's exactly it. I was lost in the Smurf details for a long time. It was a great, great job. It was so fulfilling because it was the first time I saw a direct connection between what I drew and something that felt authentically mine on screen. So even though it was a Smurf chair or it was a mailbox or it was a wheelbarrow or anything. It was the first time where I knew it was entirely my hand that was really driving the design behind that. It's awesome to help other people visualize their ideas, but it is so fulfilling when you see your own idea really influencing a design. Yeah, and that kind of hits on another question I was curious about. You're working on these giant productions, and I'm sure there's a certain chain of command that, that takes effects from the director down to the designers. But where in this process is your personality 
what's the personal aspect of your work that you get to inject? I would say the backbone of every film or every project starts with a script. So really, that's what's driving the creative force. After that, the big hitters are your director, and they have producers who can influence, but really the director, for the most part, is its own thing. Um, and he goes to his production designer for all the visual, whatever world's creations that he needs to support his vision for that film. And within the art department, the hierarchy is production designer, art director, assistant art director. And next to the assistant art directors are illustrators, graphic people. And then there's a whole other team of production assistants, an art department coordinator. In terms of how you can influence a design is really all based as a concept illustrator on what your relationship is with any particular production designers. Some production designers are like, I want you to draw this. I want it to be green and I want it to be shiny. And it's really hard to break away from that because you're like, oh, wait, I know it's round. I know it's green and I know it's shiny. Other production designers will say, I just need something that feels happy. And when you work with a production designer that says, I want to feel happy, you have so much more ability to interject into what that thing is. So it really is the head of the department, your production designer, that is driving how much you can influence any particular design. Great. So let's talk about your art direction. What were your responsibilities suddenly? What changed and what were you responsible for? Well, art directing, in my humble opinion, is not as fun because it involves a lot of logistics. It involves money. It involves managing talent. It involves giving notes, making sure the notes are executed. It involves scheduling. So it is an awesome way to grow from just a concept illustrator to know the effects that all your lines on a piece of paper can have on the rest of the art team. So it takes a very particular mindset. It's good to stretch those muscles. Uh, it is not for everybody. And it was not for me, unless it's the right job. Because <laughs> you know you, you have, your hours are ridiculous. The pay structure is different. The level of responsibility on a logistical standpoint is wild. So now at this point, you've transitioned mostly to theater. Were you still doing film work and television work? Are you basically bouncing from one project to the next? Are you working on multiple at the same time? Are you still doing the union work? So the film work, like I was saying, is very, very unionized. Your start date is this, your end date is this. If somebody were to call me and say, are you available? I would say no, because I'm on a job. And when you're in the film world, uh, you're either having an eight or a 10 hour day, usually. Maybe it's more. If you're an art director, it's like a 16 hour day. But if you are just a day player, day hire, then you have very specific start and two day. And that really doesn't allow any room for freelance work. I did take on freelance work, but it wasn't for the most part in the film industry. It was random other art related things that had to do with publishing or a friend that had a project in another company, so on and so forth. But what ended up happening is that the film industry around 2010, a little later than that, 2014, really, especially in New York, really started to change. We went from everybody watching films to everybody watching TV on demand. So your Netflix, your Amazon, your Hulu. And that really changed the dynamic of the work that was being made in New York. So now you had illustrators that were used to being on a film for nine months, but they were being asked to come onto episodics. But because we're day hires, they only wanted to hire us one to two days per episode. So it made our work very choppy. Some people went crazy and hated this, but it did open up the box for me to start taking 
multiple jobs at the same time. And so that's what really was the catalyst to me being like, okay, David Corrins, I can work with you all the time being we go from product to product to project. And at the same time, I can do two days on this this TV show and two days on that TV show and, and kind of rotate episodic productions with the theater work and with the random concerts and with and so it kind of like started being this crazy tapestry that had me working all the time and and when i look back changed from me feeling like i always worked for somebody else to really being in the space where like oh i'm really defining and picking my projects at the moment is it more television that's being produced here now less film yeah, I think there is just so much demand for content. There are more productions now than ever, and most of them are in the episodic world. It's not that it's not great work. There is a lot of great production happening in New York, but the role of a concept illustrator is so niche that I've had to evolve with how the industry is changing. And my way of doing it is by tapping into other industries. So uh, just talking a little bit more about theater, that's such a specific field. You're dealing with the dimensions of a stage and a whole history of stage language and, and all of that. How much did you know about that before you went in? I think that if I had to have one characteristic that makes theater so awesome for me is that there's a magic to the theater that whatever they are making on stage in that moment, it's live and there's no CGI that can affect what you are seeing is truly magical in my opinion. So. The only thing I knew about it was my, my love for it and, and that this hook for me was the magic of live theater. The first job I got was uh, help conceptualize uh, the set for Hamilton. And so, again, there's an associate designer on the job that's doing all the technical drawings and they're helping me understand, hey, look, you have 40 feet of depth and or 30 feet of depth and 40 feet of width. And things can't be too tall. So when you draw the figure in, they have to feel like this. So much of conversation and it's so collaborative and you're really not doing this in a bubble that makes it a little bit easier not to truly mess it up. Uh, you've got a designer telling you, I need it to feel and look like this. I want it to have two levels. I need it to be a, something that feels like it's being built. You have to relinquish some level of ownership to get back some of that ownership at the end. Uh, because you're still influencing the feel and the look, but there's technicalities that you'll never understand. Even to this day, I, I don't understand how things pop out of the floor and all the mechanicals that go behind that to make a whole house come downstage. And... But you know you can deliver on it at that point. Your level of confidence is in place enough to just not have to worry after a certain point. Yeah, I think it's different if you're doing traditional illustration for a book or for, pr uh, for printing. They're really seeking on you for all the creative vision. But if I ever have, and if I'm ever in doubt, I always have somebody in my department to lean on, may it be an art director, an assistant art director, a production designer. And even if, as my roles shift, if I move into the art directorial position, I can still rely on the designer. And even as the production designer, you have the director. So you're not making these things in a bubble. You really, it really is this collaborative medium that if you can't solve it, perhaps somebody else who has the same mission as you to make something great can help you get there. So working on Hamilton, what kind of direction are you getting? And what was your input in conversation? It's hard with musical theater if you are not privy to experiencing the workshops, which is where they work the show and they run through the numbers and they start seeing what works, what doesn't work. If you can't get into that room, it's really hard to influence 
so with a show like Hamilton, I can guide them in the process of, okay, you can either do a really lavish sets or a really simple set. You can either do an empty stage or a very full stage. And so that was the way I was able to add to the conversation because I could really create a visual that represented those highlights, those talking points. So for example, I have a sketch of the steps of the Capitol building, giant uh, pieces of marble on stage. And in creating a visual of that, it, it helps them see, oh, wait, wait, this isn't the right tone for the story we're trying to tell. And I made another version where there was practically nothing on stage. And they're like, well, okay, that's too simple. And then just creating visuals, it helps them bounce off of something that then gets them closer to a vision they think is appropriate. So even though I'm not saying, I think it should be this, I'm providing two kinds of, two kinds of visuals that help them funnel into the right tone for their particular production. So I had seen you post this sketch on the Emmys on the set. You're dealing with something that has such a, a legacy, and yet you've got to reinvent it every year to a certain degree. What's it like taking something that's so familiar and so iconic and still breathing fresh air, and fresh life into it? So uh, the, the post you're thinking about was for the Oscars. This is a really great example of a, how a production designer uses you. So last year's uh, Oscar set was designed by David Corrins. This year's Oscar set was designed by uh, Jason Sherwood. With David, it was extremely intense. There was a lot of pressure. They had used the same designer for, I, I want to say, like seven years before that. So it was a gentleman named uh, Derek McLean. And Derek had really established some key visuals that were defining the ceremony uh, for a long time. So there was a lot of pressure to break that. But there's so much bureaucracy between the Academy and the producers of the show and the network and the and the director of the show and the production design. It's like all you can possibly do is present an infinite amount of ideas and just enjoy when it goes live that you get a thousand texts from your family and friends and then your name appears at the end. And then you're like, oh, wow, I'm on national TV right now. It just might be my name, but that's pretty damn cool. That is pretty cool. Do you remember what the theme was? They were really trying to make the Oscars a little softer. The year before that, they used all these Swarovski crystals, and it felt like a cave, and a lot of people thought it was just way too ominous, and okay, we got to figure out a way to make this softer. And that was the whole concept behind the roses. Uh, and if you look at last year's Oscars, I think these like forty or 60,000 roses. Just a couple more questions. Broadly speaking, you've, you know, when you're moving from one step to the next in your career and, and you've had a couple of these turning points you've talked about, how far ahead are you looking in those decisions? Is there like a time limit you feel like you're existing in a certain iteration? And are you looking ahead to see how this is going to help you evolve into the next thing? I think it's a combo of both. A lot of it is kind of forces that you, you can't control. But then once you get to a certain point, you really can start influencing that control. If you are adamant about one particular thing and then you just go after it, you keep fighting and fighting and fighting until you get there. And then once you get there, you figure out how do you evolve from that place. I have been much more of a, what's the light that's shining brightest in front of me? Only like recently where I've been trying to be a little bit more strategic. So what kind of journey do I want to take? I've been thinking about it more, but I think there's just so much you can't control. If you're being presented with two opportunities and one you really love, but 
I'll just put it as simple as money. Like if one's paying you too little and the other one's willing to pay you a lot, at some point, the discrepancy in income is going to be impossible to turn down one over the other. But if you have the luxury of them being kind of in the same vein where it's like, okay, well, this is a little bit more of a sacrifice, but it's a better job, then you can take this one because it's going to put me closer to the goal. I think the only goal I have right now is kind of evolving into more of the designer, but I I don't want to be a designer that stops trying. So I'm trying to make sure that whatever I take on, I can still draw a lot or it's still a part of my way of working. Is there a dream project that you haven't worked on yet? The goal for me would be to production design a big movie. I don't need it to be fantasy-based, but if it were a, a movie musical, it would be ideal. That's only because I really love theater. I think that's as close to a dream project as I can give you. And again, as long as I'm drawing, I will feel like I haven't sold out. All right, well, I think those are all the questions I have, Javier. This is great. This is a lovely conversation. I hope that it inspires somebody. Very much. It was very enlightening. I learned a lot that I didn't know about theater and set design and production art. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this. Yeah, thank you so much for your time.